Prayer Dependence on God is a new series that we are starting today. I'm going to talk about it as we go. This was going to be a series that we kicked off like New Year's Eve sort of thing, uh, prayer, the word of the year sort of thing. So let's just pretend like that's still, uh, that's still what, what, what we're doing. Um, I was gone for two weeks prior to us uh, um, canceling church. We were in Disney World. And uh, Disney World is a magical place. It was a magical time uh, for Jen and for Lexi and for Sage and for Brooklyn. They had a magical time. Uh, this was my magical time. Um, this is more the, the, the real, the real ex- life experience of a girl dad uh, at Disney World. And Josh, you know, there were, there were no Dunkin' Donuts at Disney World, only Starbucks. So you might need to work on getting a franchise put in there. Because the thing about Disney World is if you put Mickey Mouse ears on it, people will spend... 10 times more than the thing is normally priced for. So you could literally sell Dunkin' Donuts with Mickey ears for like $50 a donut, and people would buy them by the dozen. It is a magical place for its ability to make you um, spend your money. So it is really good uh, to be back. We were gone two weeks, and then we canceled church last week, so we're here. And I'm excited to finally get to be back and to start this series. Uh, Big thanks to Josh and to Kyle, uh, who preached two weeks I was gone. Big thanks to the whole team. Thanks to LaRonda for leading us in worship. I got to watch on live stream. I was driving home. I was in the middle of Tennessee watching you guys on live stream uh, two Sundays ago. I was listening. I was watching the road, but I was listening on live stream, just to be clear. Just to be clear. So, uh, before we jump into the sermon, for those of you that are new, welcome, and we, this is our tradition, our culture at Mosaic. We believe in community. We're going to break you back into those groups one more time, and then I promise we'll leave you alone, and we'll just uh, go straight through the sermon after that. Two questions that relate to the sermon. Um, we try to make these relatively approachable. Don't feel like you have to answer them. You can just uh, pass. Uh, but the first one, what is something that you did in your own strength that didn't turn out the way you thought. So I'm hoping for some funny stories here. I'm hoping that you tried something that you really had no business doing and it didn't go well and you can laugh about it now. I'm hoping there's some funny stories. Uh, What's something you did in your own strength that didn't turn out the way you thought? And then number two, what makes it difficult to cultivate a regular prayer life? I'm just assuming it's difficult for everyone as it is for me, to cultivate a regular prayer life. And it can be helpful to just kind of talk through some of those difficulties as we jump into a whole series on prayer. Well, I'll give you a little history of where this, this series is coming from. Uh, this fall was challenging for me personally as a church planter. So, you know, we have Mosaic. We've been around about a year and a half as far as being sort of open to the public. We've been working on it for around two years. And, you know, we go... Um, we go pretty hard in the summer when it comes to outreach. We do our summer lights, uh, weekly park ministry all summer, and then we had our two weeks of fall fest, outdoor service, bounce house, cookouts. We did cookouts all summer, and there's this, uh, this energy spent on doing outreach, and, and, and for me as a church planter, I, I feel this need for us to grow, you know, like there's reasons for that and, and things like that. I, I feel, um, for those of you volunteering, 
And um, depending on the team you're on, you, you may experience, man, I wish there were a few more people on this team. You know, I wish there were a, a few backups to the team that I'm on. I feel that. I feel that on your behalf. I feel that with Hannah as we, as we build the volunteer schedule. And, um, you know, uh, and, and so there's, there, for, for me as a, as a church planter, I'm just being real that I feel that. I think about it at night sometimes. I, I feel our, um, you know, in a, a year from now, our, we have a lot of outside funding coming into the church, and that'll start to trickle out a year from now. And so I, I feel that. I mean, I'm human, and I, I have anxiety about those things. And, and God is always teaching me to trust in Him, and, but there's, there's still, you know, the reality of that. So in the fall, you know, we, we, we did our fall fest, we pushed really hard, and, and there was a lot of fruit from that. And then, and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be this candid in a, in a sermon, but um, you, there was people I talked to at the Fall Fest, people who came to our outdoor worship services that I really thought were going to start coming on Sundays. I mean, they, they, were gonna be, they said they were going to be there. They were excited about it. They never showed up. You know, they never showed up. People I was texting, trying to get here, like trying to make a way for them to get here, and they never showed up. And there's a discouragement to that. You know, there's a discouragement to like, man, I really thought those people were going to show up, and they, and they didn't. And so uh, there's a lot of reflection, you know, about this that I'm doing in the fall. And um, this was not a conscious thought I had, but going into this church plant, this is my second church plant. So I planted a church in Lansing, Back in 2006, I pastored for 13 years, and we, we had a, a very slow start to our first really like seven years of our church plant as far as our size and, and what I call being sustainable, uh, sustainable financially, just where like we can cover everything with our in, inside giving, not outside giving, have enough volunteers, all that sort of thing. And I went into this plant going, okay, I, I'm older, I'm wiser, we have a great team, we still have a great team. Uh, but I think thinking I had some great ideas, and they were ideas based on faith. It wasn't, it wasn't like I, I had this conscious thought that my ideas were great and they were going to work and I didn't need God, uh, but I thought these were some good ideas and they were going to work, and uh, this fall, I think, it, again, I d- don't, don't get me wrong, God is working, and there's amazing fruit that he's doing among us, uh, but there were specific outcomes we were hoping from the summer into the fall, and some of those specific outcomes didn't happen, right? And so I, I want you to put yourself uh, in that space in your life. When was it that you had some specific outcomes, and you, you may have done some planning, and you, you may have done some prayer, and you may have done some, uh, a lot of energy, a lot of your own work into something, and the specific outcome didn't turn out the way you wanted. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a project you were working on. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it's your own health. There's a specific outcome, and it didn't turn out the way you anticipated or the way you expected. So um, where this series came out of is me being at a pastor's conference this fall and just struggling, and trying to hear from God. And what I heard God say to me was, pray. (laughs) Pray, pray, pray. And not just pray, but pray as dependence on Him. Pray as dependence on God, and on His strength, and on His abilities, rather than on my own strength and my own abilities. Rather than getting together and strategizing, getting together and brainstorming, all those things are good, but not if you're not praying 
and praying as the first step, praying as the way of saying, God, we're giving this to you. Uh, This is yours. And so that was clear. That was in uh, October. And God was just convicting me of my lack of prayer when it came to my pastoral leadership. So I'm praying in my personal life. I'm praying for the church. But as far as how we're operating Mosaic, how I'm leading Mosaic, uh, I think God's convicting me of a lack of prayer and a need for dependence on prayer. Because you got to look at what we do as a church and say, are we dependent on prayer? I don't think we are. We, we, we plan things, we do them, we often have a good time, you know, but did, did we look at that thing and say, we can't do that thing unless we pray? I don't think we normally operate that way. And God starts putting that on my heart and saying, that's what prayer's for. So that's what we're going to be looking at in this series, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today. So I already mentioned it earlier, but he really put it on my heart as a theme for 2024, this theme of prayer. And in my tradition of the church, uh, we're bad at that. I mean, in my tradition of the church, uh, prayer, what, I'm thinking about prayer growing up and the unsaid messages I heard about prayer. Prayer is kind of perfunctory. You might have somebody open in prayer. Or you might have someone close in prayer. But the real meat, the real thing is, is the sermon or, the, or it's the meeting or it's the whiteboard. It's the planning. It's the strategy. And then we'll ask God to kind of sprinkle some God dust on it you know, when we're done, and, and, and then we're good. Then we've done our, our issue of prayer. And I'm also an achiever. I'm a doer. It's a blessing and a curse. And, and so prayer is not really my strength because I feel like I can do it, and I'm going to go do it, and, and you're like, come on, God, you can catch up. You know, you can catch up along the way. Uh, I, I do know that for some of you in this room and watching online, prayer is your strength. And as we jump in to this series, uh, I, I need you and we need you. Uh, we are going to be brainstorming different ways as a church that we uh, can pray together. Uh, Joel mentioned during announcements, we pray every Sunday at 10 a.m., and that is, a, that is a very specific, there's nothing flashy about it. It is a specific way of before we start church, God, we're depending on you. And so we would invite you every Sunday uh, to come at 10 a.m., uh, yesterday, so I was supposed to preach this sermon last Sunday, and I was going to tell you to pray for our leaders as we pray together on January 20th, which was yesterday. Um, so our leaders got together, leadership team and our lead staff, and we prayed for the church. We prayed together. We were together for five hours, and the first portion of that day, the first chunk of the day, was praying individually and praying as a group for Mosaic and for God to lead us. So we are, we are putting this into practice. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw uh, Kyle under the bus because I have a joke about him. He's not here. So I'm going to just add to the joke. See, Kyle is leading a prayer meeting today at 3 p.m. Yes. When, the, when he's going to be in prayer, some of you know why he's praying at 3 p.m. Uh, for the Lions to win today. He must be so diligent about the Lions that he, he's like so intensely praying already that he's not even here today. He's not even here. Um, I had to throw that in there. Uh, Joel will be joining him. Craig's praying the other direction, so. <laughs> um, there's a verse, and, and this is our theme verse um, for this series. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's from an Old Testament book, Zechariah 4, 6, and we're going to go to Zechariah 4 today. We're going to look at this. This is a universal concept. I mean, you can apply this to any situation, not by might, not by 
power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But today, I want us to take a closer look at what was happening in Zechariah 4 that made God say this um, to Zechariah. It actually was for a guy named Zerubbabel. Great name. All right. So um, who here remembers this award-winning graphic design? I know Brian does. Brian was a big fan of this graphic design. I, I uh, applied. I, this won an award. I'm telling you, there was, a, there was a graphic design contest for toddlers, and I submitted it with Brooklyn's name on it, and it won. It's amazing. All right, so we used this for a series of, I, a while ago, the Bible, uh, a story leading to Jesus, a unified story leading to Jesus, it was called. My only point here is there's a blue star here, and this is where we find Zechariah. I want to show you this is in the middle of a story. And there's a lot that's happened on this timeline before the star. Uh, one of those things that happened most recently and probably most significantly to the verse we're going to read today is um, the Israelites lost their land. So if you were here the first week of Advent, the first week of December, I preached on hope and hope beyond our circumstances. And we looked at the book of Lamentations, if you remember that, jog your memory a little bit. And in Lamentations... It's this book that is lamenting the loss of the land. That Israel, uh, the Old Testament Israelites, they were given this promised land and they were told by God, if you disobey, if you worship idols, if there's injustice, you're going to lose the land. And after really generations after generations after generations of warnings from prophets, you're going to lose the land unless you devote yourself to God. They finally lost the land. All right, so this is what happened just before this. Uh, they've lost everything. So it's really hard to get our heads around that, losing everything, uh, losing your friends, your family, like watching them die, watching them be slaughtered. The buildings are in rubble. You're, you've lost your temple. You've lost your God. I mean, you, you, God's promises of Scripture were tied to this land, and now you've lost it. You've lost it. They were exiled. Seven, they were exiled to Babylon, another country. Seventy years later, they were allowed to return. So the only, I mean, picture, it's the next generation, right, that's allowed to return. Uh, and maybe a few elderly people were, were still around. Seventy years later. But what you returned to was not the land of glory that we read about in the Old Testament. What you returned to was not Solomon's temple. It was not this beautiful golden temple and the, the walls of Jerusalem. Think about everything you love about maybe your hometown or maybe your grandparents' home or whatever it may be, something you love and cherish. And what you return to is this. So this is what you return to. Now, just to be clear, I just picked a generic picture of rubble from Google Images from an earthquake, but, but you get the idea that, that literally they would have been returning to rubble, okay? They would have been returning to the rubble, that everything in the temple that was valuable would have already been gone and looted and taken by the Babylonians. But when you see this picture, just look at this picture for a second and observe what your heart does. What does your heart do when you see this picture. Like, just look at this gym that we're in, the Boys and Girls Club. If you showed up to church today and it looked like this instead of like this, what would your heart do? If you went home today and your home, instead of looking like your home, looked like this, what would your heart do? Downtown Grand Rapids looks like this instead of like downtown Grand Rapids, right? And in, in, in this picture, it's not just buildings, 
In this picture are hopes and plans and dreams and faith. It's everything on that side of the biblical timeline now looks like this. And when you look at it, you know it will never fully be made right. You know you're never going to rebuild that to look like it did before. So I want to ask you the question, where have you experienced this in your life? Where you returned and it was rubble. Where are you experiencing this now? Where you look at something that isn't supposed to be this way, and it is this way. And how does your heart feel when you look at it? We have personal significant problems going on in our lives that feel like this. And it can feel overwhelming, right? It's overwhelming. It's debilitating. It's where do I start? How do I even begin this project? But then there's also the brokenness of the world. When I look at the world, I see this. Now, there's great things happening in the world too, and we're going to look at those things, right? But when you, read the, when you listen to the news or read the news, when you hear about poverty, when you hear about homelessness, when you hear about racial injustice and systemic racism, when you hear about war in Israel-Palestine, and you hear about war in Ukraine, and you hear about tribal wars happening all over the world, and, and genocides and sex trafficking, whew, I mean, where is God in all this, right? It feels like this. It feels like this. So in Zechariah 4, our phrase, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord, it was given to a guy named Zerubbabel. Okay, so we're going to look at him here in a moment. Zerubbabel is a great name. Somehow it faded out of name tradition. I did hear that from, Josh told me this, Christy, that if you guys had a boy, it was going to be named Zerubbabel. Got Elia instead. Praise God for Elia, but Elia, Elia, I'll get it right eventually. Elia instead. I just met Elia today. I told you I'd do that, Lisa. Now I'm married. It's really messed up. We got Elia instead, but next boy named will be Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, what a name. Uh, he was the governor of Judah. So they didn't have a king anymore. They weren't a country anymore. They weren't a nation anymore, but he was in the what's called the royal line of David. And he has been given the task of rebuilding Solomon's temple. So Zerubbabel's job is to come back to this with very few resources and to rebuild the glory of Solomon's temple. So put yourself in Zerubbabel's shoes. He's standing here looking at this rubble. And what is he thinking? How in the world am I going to rebuild this? But not only that, and I can relate to this as a pastor, the people are all looking at who? Who are the people looking at? They're looking at Zerubbabel. They're looking at Zerubbabel, and they're saying, yo, governor, <laughs> well, how are you going to rebuild this? <laughs> all right, so he's looking at this, and the people are looking at him. What is he experiencing right now? Whew, right? Come on. So God has a word for him. Do you know what the word that God has for him? It's this. So he said to me, this is God speaking to Zechariah the prophet who's going to speak this to Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is where we find this phrase from God. Now, depending on Zerubbabel's temperament, his wiring, his Enneagram number, his Myers-Briggs, his disc, he may well look at that pilot album and go, I can fix this. Yeah, baby. You know, I don't feel like, that's what we like to do as Americans, right? I can do this. I got this. I'm strong. I, man, I work in construction. I can do this. Let's go, right? Let's get the whiteboard out. Let's strategize this thing. Yo, look up on Amazon. What is the best-selling book on how to rebuild a temple? What is number one right now? What's hot? Let's read that, and we are good. We are going to get this thing rebuilt. Isn't that how we normally solve our problems? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I heard this great podcast about rebuilding temples. It's going to be great. (laughs) That was not the answer. That was not the answer. The answer from God, sorry, Mario. (laughs) Mario's like, man, I thought I had it. The answer was, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And I, and I would think Zerubbabel probably had a little bit of might. He had a little bit of power. I mean, he was the governor of the people. He, he was given Persia's blessing to go back and rebuild the temple. But verse 6, it's a specific answer to a specific question that Zechariah asked back in verse 4. Okay, so let's find out what the question was that led up to this answer. So again, Zechariah is the prophet, and he's going to deliver this message to Zerubbabel. God gave him a vision, and this is what he saw in his vision. This is what led him to the question that led to the answer in verse 6. I see a solid gold lampstand with a bull at the top and seven lamps on it, with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bull and the others on the left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? It's a valid question. It's a valid question. So this is the question that precedes the answer of verse 6. Now, I just picked my favorite Google image that I found uh, for for this verse, right? Uh, Because it's helpful to see something that Zechariah saw. He was seeing a vision from God. And this kind of, you can kind of see a little bit of what's happening here in the picture. This picture is the answer to the rubble. So when you're standing in front of the rubble, this is the answer that God gave Zechariah to give to Zerubbabel. Now, what you see here are two olive trees, and there's oil, olive oil from the trees pouring into this bowl, which is then fueling this lamp. Now, olive oil, it's all throughout the Bible. In, in, fir, in you know, first century Israel, Palestine, the Old Testament, olive oil was like the commodity. You used for many things, but it would have been used to fuel lamps. So when there's darkness, what do you need? You need light. They're in a very dark place right now. Their souls are in a very dark place. Their faith is in a very dark place, and they need light. Okay, they need light. And this is what their lamps would have looked like. This would have been a very large lamp. Now, look at what these lamps are powered by. They're powered by oil running straight from these trees. 
These trees are rooted into the ground, and it's a symbol of an unlimited amount of fuel, an unlimited amount of fuel to feed these lamps. We learn later, and a couple of verses later, if we keep reading, uh, the two branches here, these little tubes, which I think it calls branches, um, one of those is Zerubbabel himself, the governor, and one of them is Joshua the priest. Uh, this is a later Joshua than the one with Moses. This is Joshua the high priest, and that ties into Jesus, which we'll talk about later. But the, they're the channels God's going to use to flow this oil from. But the question is, where do they get all this oil from? They have to keep this lamp lit, this lamp in the darkness. The oil is not up to these branches. It's not up to this tube that the oil is flowing through to go generate oil. They weren't to go out and harvest the olives and press them and do all the work and labor needed to make this oil. And God didn't put it on them to say, you need to keep this lamp burning forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. No. The answer was in being rooted into the ground, being rooted into the Spirit. Okay, when we get to verse 6, we see that the Holy Spirit is the never-ending source of fuel, the never-ending source of fuel that fuels these trees, which fuels these branches, which fuels the bull, which fuels the lamp. This is the answer to standing before the rubble. You have an eternal problem. Well, guess what? Now you have an eternal solution, and it's found in God's Spirit. This reminds me of Matthew 5, 14 to 15. This is New Testament. This is Jesus speaking to us about us, and he says, you are the light of the world. It would have been a similar sort of lamp that he's talking about, running on oil. And he says, they put a lamp on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Our world is a dark place, isn't it? I talked about the rubble. There's a rubble in our own lives. There's the rubble of the world. We're supposed to be lights for Jesus, right? Doesn't it feel sometimes like the darkness is winning? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's to give light to everyone in the house. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The power of the lamp does not come from the lamp. Okay, that's what we see in Zechariah 4. That's what I want you to take from today. That's what I need to take from today. The power of the lamp does not come from the lamp. This lamp will burn out. It will burn out. You heard about burnout, right? Faith burnout, job burnout, ministry burnout. The power of the lamp cannot come from the lamp or it will burn out. It will burn out. We see Jesus, Jesus, God in the flesh, what does he do throughout his ministry? Goes to a solitary place to pray. Goes up on a mountainside to pray. Gets up early before anyone else is awake and goes and prays. Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to the Father. Jesus himself was plugged into the Spirit through prayer, to fuel his lamp. So my question for you is, and it's a significant question, where are you getting your power from? Where are you getting your power from? Where are we getting our power from? Where is Mosaic Church getting our power from? I get my power from coffee. 
Joel, we're getting rid of coffee. We're going to depend on the Spirit. <laughs> Joel's like, I'm out. <laughs> Where are we getting our power from? And I think if we're really honest, our autopilot is from myself. From myself, right? From myself. And this could be a sin issue you're struggling with, an addiction you're battling, and you're saying, I can stop drinking. I can stop looking at pornography. I can stop reckless spending. I can stop my gambling. I know how to stop it. I'm good. I've got the power in myself. The power comes from my lamp. You're going to burn out. You can't stop it yourself. We need to be plugged into the Spirit, plugged into the tree, plugged into community. But even on a day-to-day basis, getting up, going to work, coming to church, what's powering your lamp? What's powering your lamp, right? It's powerful. It's convicting. That's why, I I mean, I'm a pastor, and God's like... (laughs) You're powering your own lamp, Noah. I'm not powering your lamp. I mean, that's a problem, right? 2 Corinthians 10 came to mind as I was reading through Zechariah 4. This is, again, New Testament. This is Paul talking to the church. And he says, some people, I'm picking up mid-sentence here, who think that we live by the standards of this world. So that's Are we living by the standards of this world? I mean, it's so easy to do, right? It's so easy to live by the standards of this world. Verse 3, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We as Christians are in a war. Where are you getting your power from? <laughs> this is crazy to think about, that, that there are strongholds, there is a war going on around us, and we are not to fight it the way the world fights it. One more came to mind. This is the longer passage of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, and I didn't put it all up here. Uh, but listen to some of this language that Paul gives, again, about the church, about us, and about the battle that we are in on a daily basis. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes through the armor of God. I sort of skip that part because I want to focus in on how he ends it. And he says, and pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And look what it says. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So again, I just ask, where is your power coming from? This passage in the imagery, it speaks for itself. Where is your power coming from? Prayer is attached to sharing the gospel. Prayer is attached to spiritual attacks. Prayer is attached to the armor of God. Prayer is clearly dependence on God in these wars that we fight. So we're going to go back to Zechariah 4, and we'll wrap up here. 
we just heard that it's not by might or strength, or it's by God's Spirit. So the next verse, and this is really, really key. The next verse is this amazing verse of victory. Aren't you ready for the victory? Aren't you ready for the temple to be rebuilt? Aren't you ready to get back what you lost? It says, what are you, mighty mountain? What are you, you bunch of rubble? What are you, you unmovable object? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Talking about building, talking about construction here. Then he will bring out the capstone. That's the final stone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. It's like, yes, that's what we see. That's what we want. A couple of verses later, they're starting the build. They're starting the rebuild. Remember the rubble. And I love this verse. This might be the verse for you. It was the verse for me. It says, who dares despise the day of small things? Who dares despise the day of small things? They're talking about as they rebuild the temple, there's going to be a lot of small things that have to happen before that temple is ever rebuilt. It's going to take years and years and years to go from rubble to temple. And I despise the small things all the time, friends. I want to see that mountain moved. I want to see the finished product. I don't want to see the small things. I don't want to see the removing of one piece of rubble from that pile taken away. That doesn't do it for me. One person coming to faith. I want a hundred. One step that somebody makes towards Jesus. God says, I am in the small things. I am in the small things in your life. I'm in the small things at Mosaic Church. I need you to see the small things. Open your eyes to see the small things that I'm doing and that I am using in your life. Dependence on God, it does not mean things will turn out the way we picture It doesn't mean things are going to turn out the way we picture. What it means is letting go of control and depending on God. It's not depending on the final outcome. It's depending on God. There was a surprise in this text. The surprise is Jesus. The trees I mentioned earlier, one was Zerubbabel, one is Joshua. It's the high priest and the king are represented. Jesus is the high priest, and he is the king. And this is one of many passages that foretells about Jesus being the one that is the eternal source of oil, the eternal source of fuel. Yes, they rebuilt the temple. It was a knockoff of the old temple. (laughs) It was like Folkley's brand temple. It was not the original temple. In fact, the old, old, old priests or men that were there, it says in Ezra, they, they weeped when they saw the new foundation built because they were like, that is not, that is not the old. It's not the glory. It's not the grandeur. They did rebuild the temple though, but guess what the surprise is? It wasn't about that temple. Do you remember what Jesus says about his body, about the temple, this same temple when he's walking around in Jerusalem? 
He says this temple is going to be destroyed, and in three days it's going to be rebuilt. They're like, what are you talking about, crazy man? And he says, the temple I refer to is my body, and he's going to die on the cross. It's going to be destroyed, and in three days he's going to resurrect. It's going to be restored. It's going to be rebuilt. There is a macro plan of redemption that God is is doing and he's after. And he's saying, don't despise the day of small things. And as we look back at the story, even Zerubbabel's temple, it was just another small thing, you guys. It was just another small thing that led up towards Jesus. It was a step along the way. So for us, This is our last slide. Um, As we look at the rubble of our lives, as we look at the rubble of Grand Rapids, as we look at this task that is before us as a church, as we survey the rubble, and as we strive to be lights in the darkness, I want to challenge us. I'm challenging myself to receive every small step along the way from God. And I rejoice that every single one of you that's here, every one of you that's watching online, at what God is building here at Mosaic Church. He is at work. And I rejoice that he's leading us to a place to depend on him as our fuel source. It is by his spirit. And we can access his spirit anytime, anywhere. I love accessing his spirit in community. That's why we pray every Sunday at 10 a.m., That's why we prayed yesterday together as leaders. That's why we're going to continue to provide more opportunities for us as a church to pray together. So uh, we'll be in this series, this message for the next uh, few weeks, maybe the next few months, as we look at depending on God. What does it look like for him to be our fuel source? Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll uh, move into a time of communion and continued time of worship together. Lord, we thank you that we can depend on you. I pray your spirit will be at work even now using this time, using these words for each of us in our individual lives as we look at the rubble that is before us. God, encourage us that we can depend on you. It's not by our own might. It's not by our own strength. We can depend on you. And encourage us not to despise the small things because you are actively at work. And this all leads back to Jesus. And it's all a part of your redemptive plan. And someday we'll be with you for eternity. And maybe we'll get a chance to look back at those days at Mosaic Church, those days back in Grand Rapids, and to say, God, I see it. I see what you were doing. I see what that one small gesture did in that person's life five years later. God, we pray for those who aren't here. We pray for our friends that have come to know Jesus and we haven't seen them in a while. We pray that your plan would not stop in their life. We pray that the oil would continue to flow in their life. We pray for those in this room that are struggling with insurmountable rubble in their own lives. That they would know it's not by their own strength, it's not by their own power, but it's by your spirit. And it may never get rebuilt the way it used to be. But help them and help me and help us to release these things to you, God. And that you would be enough for us. And that we would trust you as you lead us and as you guide us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this time now. We can remember you through communion. We can remember the finished work on the cross, the resurrection from the dead. 
that it is finished. The temple has been rebuilt, and it is you, and then you usher us in to be your temple, that your spirit actually dwells in us. (laughs) It's incredible. We are so thankful. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.